Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio, and we have Bert Forney on with us tonight. How are you doing, Bert? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you, Todd. And Sandra is on with us, and Julie may be coming in later. How are you, Sandra? I'm excited to be here tonight because I'm going to hear some of the history that I've never heard before, so I am real excited. And so, so Bert is going to start off sharing some of his testimony, and then he's going to go into the history of the Garden Valley Lindell area. So, Bert, if you're ready, go right ahead. Well, I'm ready, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here with, uh, with Todd and with Sandra. Um, we've been friends for a long, long time. And to just tell you a little about myself, uh, I grew up in Tyler, which is a mid-sized city here in East Texas, and uh, grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad loved the Lord. Um, I was pretty much an only child. I had a half-brother that was 13 years older than me, so he was pretty much gone by the time I remember. But we always went to church. My dad read the Bible to me, but I think they may have made a, uh, not a mistake, but they raised me the way a lot of kids were raised in my generation, in that they they sort of left it up to the church to tell me about Jesus personally. So I never remember doubting that Jesus was the Son of God or that he died for my sins, but it it just was more historical to me than having any personal meaning. So my dad died when I was 15, and I left for college when I was 17. Couldn't wait to get out of the hick town, get to the big city, moved to Fort Worth first and then to Dallas. And um, after four years in the big city, I have run and lived in the country most of my life, had all the city I ever wanted. Uh, My last year of college, I was home for a weekend, was supposed to have a date that didn't materialize for some reason and was just driving around in downtown Tyler and passed the Caldwell Auditorium. It's a big auditorium that was used to be part of John Tyler High School. And there was a little sign out in front that said, Jesus Celebration, everyone welcome. And just out of boredom, really, I went in. Um, there were just a couple hundred people there. It's a 1,200-seat auditorium. And they were all sitting down in the front. They hadn't even turned the lights on in the back. So I sat in the very back, and the kids were just taking turns getting up on the stage and telling what rotten lives they had led and then how they met Jesus and how and what their life was like now. And I really didn't like it because the rotten life they were describing before Jesus was my life. So uh, I just decided, well, I don't have to listen to this and got up to leave. And well, some of them had seen me, and uh, when I went out into the lobby, several of them uh, met me there and just gave me uh, an opportunity if I was interested to to talk with them. So we sat back in the very back of the auditorium, and I pretty much told them all my standard college things about uh, philosophy and how it just couldn't be that easy to um, 
to come to the Lord and have my sins forgiven. And they wouldn't argue with me, which I just hated. But they did love me. I could feel it. And they didn't even know me. And it was weird because there was no motive that I could figure out. So I decided that whatever they had that I wanted, wanted it to, and gave my life to the Lord that night. Um, some years went by. I was part of a church in Tyler and heard about uh, something going on in Lindale, Texas, which I don't think I'd ever been to before. Uh, came up to a place just north of Interstate 20 that I'd heard of called Agape Force. And they had an event called the Tuesday Night Special. This was in the late 70s. And I went, and it was just hundreds and hundreds of people. They were lined up on 110 for almost a mile in both directions because there was no place to park. And people sat on hay bales out in the field. And I heard music that I'd never heard, and I heard teaching that I had never heard in all my years of going to church. And um, that was my first exposure to Agape Force. I used to go out to uh, what was then a warehouse. It's now our church building. And I would go in, and this big warehouse, 11,000 square feet, and there were props up in the in the rafters from the, some of the music productions that they did. And there were uh, hay bales in the center, and a man standing on the hay bales, and all the people would sit in a big circle around him on the concrete, that man's name was Winky Prattney. And uh, he told me stuff I'd never heard before, but that my heart says, said, well, of course, of course that's the way it is. You know that ring that you get when you hear something that's true. So I moved up to uh, the Lindale area to a ministry called Gates of Life in 1981 and uh, pretty much have been here in this area ever since. Now, you know what they say, how well you can see depends on where you're standing and how good the view is from there. So what I want to tell you about the history of this area is obviously very subjective. It's from what I saw from where I'm standing. And I know that parts of it may not be in order and parts of it may not be 100% accurate, but it's what I remember and what I saw when I was here. And uh, it's a pretty good story. Uh, people have asked over the years, especially those that come to our church, why in the world did all of these international ministries come to a place in the middle of East Texas that nobody had ever heard of? Uh, Lindale's a little town, but actually the area is Garden Valley. And um, several um, pretty big major ministries have been here. And so we tried to track it down, and as, as far back as I can trace it, the reason that all these ministries have come here is because David Wilkerson hated to fly. Now, most people know at least a little about David Wilkerson. He was a, a preacher, a young preacher in Pennsylvania, who read a story in the paper about some gang members who were being tried in New York City and felt the Lord prompt him that he was to go there and try to have some impact on these gang members' life. And he showed up in a New York City courthouse in a three-piece suit with a big leather Bible, and the New York Times took a picture of him 
and they published it above the fold on page one with the intent of making fun of him. This hick preacher who had come to town with his uh, with this Bible thumper, who had come to uh, try to have some influence in a New York City courtroom of all the sophisticated places. Well, he did have an impact, and a number of those gang members got saved. And one of them was Nikki Cruz, who uh, uh, traveled with David for a long time, Tad, and I believe still has his own ministry. But as a result of that uh, experience and uh, the ministry that Dave founded called Teen Challenge, sort of out of that impetus there in New York City, um, David began to get a lot of invitations to speak at major conferences around the country, um, a lot of them near a place called Melody Land out in Southern California. Well, David, uh, I'm not saying that he was scared to death to fly. He didn't mind dying, but he was a white-knuckle flyer. He just did not enjoy the experience. So he asked his business manager to go and find a place somewhere in the middle of the country where it would be easier for him to tour in a a private tour bus rather than flying. And uh, the guy called him from the corner of uh, Highway 110 and Interstate 20 and said, David, I think we have found the place. And so David came down and they purchased 500 acres um, that's now known as Twin Oaks Ranch, and they established a teen challenge uh, there uh, along with a number of others all over the country. Uh, at that time, um, young singer named uh, Dallas Holm from Minneapolis uh, began to travel with him and would lead worship and open for him at his events. Um, and as time went past, uh, other people who knew David, uh, one being a man named Tony Salerno, who was in California, had started a little group of uh, kids called the Agape Force. And they're their theme was God's love is the greatest force in the universe. And they, at that time, were located uh, in Sebastopol, California, on a large estate called the Coffee Grounds, which belonged to Charles Schultz, the man who did the Peanuts cartoon strip. Uh, he was a committed Christian, and he opened up some space there on his property um, in a dorm-type setting, and the kids were living there, but had really outgrown that. And uh, Tony saw a need for having a, a lot more space and, again, a, a more central location. And so David Wilkerson helped Tony find 500 acres um, very nearby. In fact, the two properties, Twin Oaks and the Old Agape Force, um, share a back fence line. And so uh, Agape Force bought 500 acres and moved here uh, and started uh, building um, some buildings, the first one they put up was the warehouse that's now our church and, uh, <laughs> and a cafeteria. Uh, well, Tony had another friend who was in California who had started a ministry called Last Days, and he was Keith Green. Uh, Keith was a, um, a young man who'd been signed by Deco Records to be a pop star as a young man, and uh, he was sort of supposed to fill the niche that wound up later being filled by Donny Osmond. Uh, that's who was kind of signed to replace him when he quit. 
Well, when Keith got saved, he he gave up um, pop music totally. I really believe that we were living in the last days um, according to biblical prophecy and began to uh, gather some young people with him of like mind. And um, they were also needing some space and a central location. So Tony helped Keith find 500 acres. I think that it's actually 470. I think that's kind of a magic number. And uh, Keith moved here and started Last Days Ministries. Uh, Along with Keith, Keith knew a lot of musicians, uh, as did Tony. Uh, Barry McGuire moved here for a while. He was a, a pop star from the 70s had some big hits, Eve of Destruction and that kind of thing. He had gotten saved and um, uh, wanted to serve the Lord through his music. And uh, Keith, of course, became quite well-known, some of his stuff. And um, he was a pretty radical guy. So Last Days Ministries came here, and along with them, um, a group called Second Chapter of Acts uh, came. Kelly Willard came and moved here. Uh, along with Kelly, she brought a young backup guitar player and his young wife, Paul and Rita Balash. And uh, Paul came here as a as a backup guitar player and began attending our little church, Community Christian Fellowship, and um, maybe some more of that story later. But uh, as time passed, David Wilkerson realized that the Lord was calling him out of Teen Challenge. It was well-established really did not need his personal presence any longer. So he decided that he was going to put the uh, the Twin Oaks Ranch property up for sale and um, to found a new ministry that he was going to call World Challenge. And World Challenge was uh, bought some property. They had an office going already. And David called a, a man who had come down with a group nobody had ever heard of called Youth with a Mission. And they had bought a little old motel over on Highway 64 outside of Tyler near the airport. And it was a mess. I saw it one time. There were holes in some of the roofs, and the plumbing didn't work. And uh, he asked Leland Paris, the director, if he would come over to Twin Oaks Ranch. And they walked. They were walking the back property, and David asked Leland if Youth of a Mission would have any interest in purchasing this property. Well, by this time, there was a gymnasium and many, many classrooms, quite a few homes. Uh, it had been quite well-developed, big office complex. And Leland, of course, was uh, was sort of awed at the prospect of, of YWAM getting this property because we all kid that YWAM means youth without any money. And so... Um, Leland, of course, said, well, how much, how much would you take for it? So David Wilkerson had the property professionally appraised, and I believe this was in 1980. And the figure at that time came back $6.5 million was the value of the 500 acres and the homes and so forth that were on it. So he offered it to Leland Paris and YWAM for $0.10 cents on the dollar, $650,000. And Leland was just thunderstruck and said, I think we can figure out a way to, to finance that 
that much money. So the property was transferred to Youth of the Mission, and I got to be there the very first Sunday when they all met together, and Leland said, as hard as it is to believe, welcome to Youth of the Mission. And David Wilkerson was very much like that. People didn't know, and I guess will never know, the uh, the generosity of that man. But there are stories that uh, I've confirmed that are still just hard to believe of ways that he came in. And he actually came in two years later and paid off the mortgage for Youth of the Mission. Uh, so they were essentially given that property. Wilkerson opened World Challenge. One of their big things has been the uh, Times Square Church in Manhattan. I mean, an incredibly expensive uh, piece of real estate with a big church. Uh, Love the Lord right in the middle of the most secular place in America. They have they support orphanages all over the world. They support missionaries all over the world, and all of it is run from a little office and a bus barn out here, just out here in the country, that if you didn't know what it was, you'd have no idea what they do. Well, as the, uh, as the years passed, some other ministries were spawned as a result of these initial ministries. Um, a group named Harvest came and were planted here, out of which um, my dear friend Ed Carr was, uh, was one of the members of that. And uh, he stayed around for a long time. Uh, after Harvest left and wrote with, uh, co-wrote with Paul Blosh. Um, and um, about 1984, I would, I think, um, Agape Force realized that the big, the big, well-developed and manicured property that they had here in East Texas was really not um, the place that they needed to be anymore. It was more space than they needed. It was more expensive uh, based on the value that they could get from it. So they made the decision to put the property up for sale and move to uh, Tacoma, Washington. And uh, Tony, by that time, had gotten into um, some toys that, that, um, that taught character qualities to children and signed a deal for those with uh, a, a, a toy company called Worlds of Wonder, and uh, so he sold the property, and if I, I believe that initially that property was bought by A.C. Musgrave, um, and he had it for a period of time, a group out of Dallas, Dallas, Dallas Bible College uh, came, and they, they had college classes there for a while, but it was just too much property for them to maintain and for them to pay for, so they sold it to a head injury hospital group called Numedico. And Numedico came in. They put up a big water tower with the silhouette of a head of a man uh, on the side of it. They built eight-foot chain-length fences, very strong fences all the way around. And uh, it was a secular organization, uh, which is not to say at all that they were bad, but it was not ministry-related at all, and this big fence very much gave the at least the body language statement, uh, you're not welcome here, don't, don't come in here, which was the opposite of what it had been before. And those of us who had been a part of Agape Force and, and helped with building the buildings and laying the grass and all of that, we were just grieved 
that uh, that had become the use of that property. Well, in the meantime, 1982, uh, Keith Green and some of his kids and a missionary family were taking off just for a a sightseeing ride from last day's airstrip, and uh, the plane was uh, um, overloaded and crashed, and everyone was killed. Um, It's one of those events where you always remember where you were when you, you heard that Keith had been killed. And they tried, last days tried for several years to, they did memorial concerts with second chapter of Acts, um, any number of things to just to try to keep the doors open. I mean, the name of their ministry was last days. That doesn't mean, that means they did not do a lot of long-term planning. So when the Lord didn't come back very quickly, they began to uh, run out of resources and finally um, made the decision to to sell that property to a group that uh, no one really around here had heard of much. Uh, when I was a youth pastor at our church, I, I took my wife and we went up to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma to see um, a gr- uh, an event that was held in their conference center by a group called Teen Mania. And uh, at that time, they occupied two floors of an office building at Oral Roberts University. Uh, of course, an outreach uh, to reach teenagers. Um, very well done professional event, probably around 3,000 kids. And one of, the, one of the finest events I'd ever seen. But I had no idea at that time that they would actually move here. And so, but they did. Uh, I can't remember the exact year, uh, maybe 1996, uh, somewhere in that area. Teen Mania came down, occupied the old Last Days property. Uh, they they added on what had been the print shop. They turned into a call center. What had been the the hangar for the airport, they turned into Global Expeditions, which was a planning uh, outfit for for mission trips, short-term mission trips for young people all over the world. My, my daughters all participated in those. Those were wonderful events. And um, so that's essentially uh, up until, uh, I can't remember the year anymore, but a group moved in here that at that time was part of Youth of the Mission or under Youth of the Mission called Mercy Ships. And we thought at that time, why in the world would uh, would a, a ministry that has to do with ships and oceans locate here 250 miles from the nearest water? Um, and as it's turned out, the reason is that that donations, major donations from big medical companies, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, and so forth, everything from CAT scan machines to bandages to scrub suits to x-ray equipment to crutches to orthopedic surgery parts. Uh, all those donations come to a central location here in East Texas. The ship orders what they need. It's all put into a container, put on the back of a semi-tractor, and hauled down to the Port of Houston, and off it goes. So it has worked for them very, very well. Uh, the way they acquired that property is very interesting. Don Stevens, who is the founder of Mercy Ships, um, approached the, um, the owner of New Medico and um, 
made it, wanted to make an offer to purchase this property here. And when he made the, uh, he went to Boston, I believe, is where the uh, the CEO was for these hospitals. And uh, he tells the story that when he made the offer, the man laughed at him. And Don thought to himself, I've been laughed at lots of times. So long story short, within a few months, um, New Medico sold the property to Mercy Ships for Don's offer. And I don't know what that was, but it was somewhere around 10 cents on the dollar for the value of it. And it was just a God thing that Mercy Ships acquired that property. Uh, I think we're down to uh, pretty much getting near the present time. Uh, Our little church, Community Christian Fellowship, is located on a piece of land that used to belong to Agape Force. As I mentioned, it was their old warehouse. Then it became a 12-grade school. It was a an outreach for um, men and women called Gates of Life, uh, men and women with some kind of life-dominating thing, similar to Teen, to teen Challenge, but um, more focused locally. That was all located there. And when Agape Force moved away, there was a little church that met there. It didn't even have a name at that time. It was just a, a group from Agape Force that met there to worship on Sundays. And um, that was when the church became Community Christian Fellowship. And um, that was 32, 33 years ago. And it has grown and thrived. We have a lot of uh, people from uh, a lot of staff members from YWAM, from Mercy Ships, from Living Alternatives, um, from World Challenge, who uh, attend services there. So there's a there's a big uh, there's a big missionary influence. Probably one quarter of the church are transient, and by that I mean they're here for a school or they're here for a season, but ultimately they are headed somewhere else. So, in some ways, CCF is like an airport in that there's a lot of people coming in, they need some service while they're here, and then they're moving on somewhere else. And then three-fourths of the people there probably are local people, just people who are part of the local community who come and worship together in this sort of non-denominational setting, and it's a lot of fun. Well, I'll just bring in Paul Balash real quick because a lot of people know and love his music. And... uh, I was friends with Paul pretty much from the day they got here. I remember the Wednesday night that he and Rita came to church for the first time, and and I just, he told me a little about himself, and I said, well, you're going to love it here. And so he wound up coming into the church office, uh, talking to the pastor. I was there just asking if there was anything, any way he could help, Um, maybe, you know, duplicate the tapes or work with the youth or anything like that. And uh, uh, our pastor at that time was a real prophetic guy named Albie Pearson. He was only here a couple of years, but he was a former major league ball player who had gotten saved and had a ministry really with a lot of the local musicians. And he said to Paul, you're not a youth pastor. You're a worship leader. And Paul said, me? Really? And so Albie began to have Paul just get up with his guitar and lead a few songs on Sunday. And Paul got together then with uh, with Ed Carr from Harvest, and they had a little office back off the sanctuary there at the church. 
and they took out a loan and bought a 16-track open reel recorder and began to write songs and send demo tapes to um, an outfit that nobody would really ever heard of called Integrity Music. Well, Integrity signed both of them, and uh, Paul began to do some albums, and um, uh, no matter how popular he got and how much in demand he was, uh, I mean, he turned down he turned down Saddleback uh, to be the worship leader. That's this huge Rick Warren's church in Southern California. He turned them down to stay here. He turned down Willow Creek, which is another giant church in Chicago that asked him to be worship leader so that he could stay here. And he wound up being our worship leader for 25 years. They've moved away not too long ago, a couple of years ago, up to New York City because all of their family is uh, is from Jersey. Their kids are up there. Uh, good move for them, but of course we all miss him every day. And he still comes to see me three or four times a year. He'll just come spend a couple nights here. And my kids, I mean, my kids all love him. They come over and we sing old worship songs and old James Taylor songs and uh He's just like one of the family. So I guess the point I'm trying to lead up to is there has always been uh, a garden in Garden Valley. From when, when Winky Prattney lived here to Leonard Ravenhill, um, we actually live in the house on the same property where Leonard Ravenhill and his son built two houses. And we live in the son's house and my wife's sister lives in Leonard's house. And there are still people every once in a while who will drive in this driveway because they would like to see Leonard's study. And my brother-in-law always just lets them, just lets them see it. There's a real uh, lingering sweetness of the Lord here. Well, when Teen Mania left, and I'll end with this one because it's the most current thing. When Teen Mania left um, a couple years ago, the property went on the open market, and uh, we were just all praying that some some ministry would buy it that's like-minded. If you saw the property, it looks like a college campus. I mean, it would take a real specific kind of group to be able to utilize that sort of facility. And the group that wound up buying it is called JAMA, and that's uh, Jesus... Um, I, can't, I just honestly can't remember right now, but the, uh, the man who founded it is Dr. John Kim, who was from Korea, came to the U.S. as a student, um, got a Ph.D. from University of Southern California in American government, and he loves America. He says that without America, that all of Korea would have been North Korea and that it would have just been a subsistence existence like it was before but the United States fought the war to keep them free and then invested very heavily in South Korea, and it's one of the leading economies in the world today. Uh, well, Dr. Kim's vision, he has, they have purchased the property. They're moving here from Southern California because they, he, he says they see the writing on the wall. The, uh, the government, the California government especially, is actively seeking to close down uh, Christian schools and ministries. 
uh, over the issue of discrimination because Christians believe that homosexuality and some of these other things uh, listed in the Bible are sinful and immoral behaviors, and the government doesn't accept that anymore. So before, before they get closed down, they're moving out here to Texas, which it's probably going to be a long time before anything that, like that happens around here. They are just in process now. His vision is to open a college that will take in the sharpest of the sharp young people who are on track to get at least a master's and most a Ph.D. Uh, in their given subject and then get jobs on school boards and state governments and bureaucracies around the country, much the way that the left has done, only from a Christian perspective, and just began to try to exert some influence again for the gospel in, uh, in the areas of government and commerce. And so for me and my wife, we've lived here, uh, you know, for many, many years. She, she came here before I did, and we've gotten to see all of these things come and go. There's been some hard things. There's been some good things, just like life is. But God's been in all of it, and there's always some... This is like Bouchard Gardens, if you've ever seen, or the Arboretum in Dallas. If you ever look at one of their flower beds, there's something that's dormant, there's something that's been pruned, and there's something that's blooming. And the whole group of it together is always beautiful. And that's what Garden Valley is. There's always some group that you don't really know what's happening there exactly. There's some group that has been uh, reduced in size or in income, and then there's another group that's blossoming. And so it's never the same group at the same time, but the Lord's doing his thing. He doesn't really explain to us what all that is, but it's been a privilege to see here, to stay here, be able to stay here for all these years and uh, see all the good that God has done in this little area in the middle of nowhere because David Wilkerson didn't want to fly. And that's about it. <laughs> that's really good. And that's, that's good. a good ending to it, too. Well, you know, Ron, did you have... I was just thinking we've been here 20 years, and that's the first time I've heard a lot of that. That was awesome, Bert. Awesome. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it, Sandra. Yeah, so, well, I really thank you for coming on, Bert. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to answer a lot of people's questions because I get asked that same question all the time. Well, I don't understand why all these ministries, why are they there? So, uh, (laughs) all right, I appreciate it. Well, I'm very grateful for the opportunity you've given me to kind of lay it all out. And, uh, and Lord willing, I'll probably see you and Julie on Sunday. Thank you, Bert. And that's God bless you both. Bless you, Sandra. Uh Uh-huh. Thank you. Mm, Bye-bye.